At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And uh, this morning, we do have a special service. This is our family service that we do uh, every fifth Sunday of the month. And so we want to welcome the kids that are in here. Hi, all the kids. It's good to see you guys. Um, and, and know that I'm watching. So all of you that are out there behaving, you get a gold star if you behave. And if you end up running around the room, well, that's on your parents. So... I'm just kidding. We love having the kids here, and uh, it gives us an opportunity as families to worship the Lord together, but also hear instruction from the, the word of the Lord together. So we, we welcome you, kids, and um, pray that some of the sermon illustrations they, they make hopefully will connect with some of you. So we'll try to keep it as interactive as we possibly can. All right, how many of you have ever moved into a new house or a new house, a new apartment? Okay, so we've all done that, right? Well, what's one of the things that inevitably comes with moving into a new house or to a new apartment? Stress. Stress, yes. And things begin to break, right? It's almost like immediately you walk into your house and you're like, that needs to get fixed, that needs to get fixed, that needs to get fixed, and all that stuff. Well, there was a time in my life when Sarah and I had the kids. They were all really, really young. We moved into a new town and uh, moved into a home in a small town in Kentucky. And uh, immediately when we move in, things started to break and things started to go haywire. And so I thought, you know, I'm, I'm a man, I'm a husband now, and, you know, I can fix things. And so I started to try to fix things, and inevitably I just kept making things worse, and I would just break it. And uh, so I'd always have to go to church and, and call my friend. His name was Rick. And so Rick started showing up all the time to fix all of my mistakes and the things that were broken. And my kids saw Mr. Rick come to our house so many times that every time they saw him, this is how they referred to him. His name was Rick He Fix. So they see Rick at church and they're like, Rick, he fix. Rick, he fix. Because every time he was over at our house, he was fixing something that I had broken or something that I had ruined. And so he was an instrumental part in the lives of my kids and also for our home. In that process, I learned that in fixing things, there's always multiple wrong ways to fix something, but always more than likely only one right way to fix it. Right, now imagine with me for a moment, you, your, your life is, is a house, right? And you moved into your new house, and all of a sudden you realize that the pipes in your house, the water pipes in your house, aren't very good. That they start leaking, and they're in need of repair. And typically, there are two options that most people, uh, when they see that their, their pipes are leaking, that they try to fix them. One option, which is... Both these options are the wrong way. But one option to, to fix the leaky pipes in your house is to immediately, once the pipe starts leaking, if it's just leaking a little bit or leaking a lot, you go and get a, a garbage pail or a, a bucket or something like that, and you put it right underneath the water, right? And the water goes into the bucket. You're like, problem solved. Right? No. But what, let's say, just imagine for a moment, you decided that that's how you're going to fix it. I'm going to fix this leaky problem, and I'm going to put the bucket under the water, and then when that bucket fills up, I'm going to move it out of the way and put another bucket, and when that one fills up, I'm going to move it out of the way and put another bucket, when that one, and then inevitably what's going to happen is your whole house is going to be full of buckets full of water. Have you fixed your problem? 
No, you haven't. In essence, what you've done is you've made, your slave, made yourself a slave to the leaky pipe. Right, because you can't go anywhere because what happens if it overflows and it goes onto the ground and ruins the carpet and ruins everything else? So you gotta be there to make sure that you're fixing it and letting it go. You're like, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal, it's just water. That's one way of fixing it, or of not fixing it. That's one way of dealing with it. Second way of dealing with the leaky pipe is you see that that leaky pipe's there and you're like, oh, I got this. You put your hand on it. You've covered it. Problem solved, right? Kind of, right? But what happens when the water behind that hole begins to build up pressure and begins to put pressure on your hand and inevitably you let go a little bit, what's gonna happen to that water? It's gonna come squirting out, right? And so then maybe down the line you have another hole that's, that, that's formed in the pipe. So then you're like, I, I, I fixed this one, I fixed this one and you're holding on to all of them. But what happens then when you get tired, right? You let go and the water just keeps coming. So you're like, I gotta hold that. And then another pipe breaks or another pipe gets a hole in it. So you're like there with your feet and you've got your feet and you're all over the place and you're, you're totally strung out. And guess what's just happened? You've become a slave to your leaky pipes. You're like, what, what's that gotta do with anything? Or are either of those really good options of how to fix your pipes? No, they're not. But what if I were to tell you that in a very similar way, this is how Christians try to fix their sin problem, right? We know that our house, if your house is like, like a home and you come to, to know Christ, then you know that you're the same house that what used to be is now a new house because Jesus now has residence inside of it, but you know there's still things that need to get fixed, right? There's still problems that you have. You have those closets in your house that you don't want anyone to go into. You've got the paint that's chipping and peeling over here that you're like, I gotta fix that. And you're like, I gotta fix that and I gotta fix that. And so then you see that your pipes are your sin problem. The water starts coming. You're like, okay, I got this. Sin starts coming out of the pipes. And you're like, okay, I'm going to put a bucket underneath it. I'm like, I got this. It's not that big of a deal. And then you live your life allowing sin to continue on in your life. And you go from one bucket to the next bucket to the next bucket to the next bucket. And you realize you've got a problem and you can't fix it. You can't make it stop. But so then what you do is you're like, well, everyone's doing it. Right, everyone's got water jugs all over the house. It's okay. And then someone comes and you're like, hey, you know you've got a leaky problem. You're like, no, I don't. You've got the leaky problem. I got this under control. Right? So you, sin just continues to go and go and go and go. And you think that you can fix the sin problem by doing more sin. That's one way. The other approach is the one over here where the, the person's trying to fix it all themselves. They're like, yeah, I got, a, I got leaky. This is a bad thing. Sin is coming out of, of this pipe, but I got it. Right, and you cover it, and you're like, I'm going to make myself stop sinning. And then another pipe bursts, and so you're holding onto that one. You're holding onto this one. You're holding on this one. And sometimes you get tired, and you let go, and sin spews in your face. And what that does is it begins to allow you to get to the point where you can really, you're really good at defining sin. Like, you're really, really good. And you're really, even really, really good at seeing it in other people. You're like, that person's got a sin problem. That person's got, that person's got, I got my problems, but that person, man, they're up to here in their sin. Right, I can see it. But then you get to the point of where you can see your own sin and you feel frustrated by your own sin. And so you begin to judge yourself. You judge other people and you judge yourself. And you're like, oh, what a horrible person I am. I can't fix this. And you're like, yeah, I can. I just gotta be stronger. I gotta do better. I gotta be better. 
man, you're stuck in this problem. You guys see the dilemma? In essence, in Romans chapter 5 through 7, what Paul is trying to help us understand is that sin cannot be cured from the outside in. Sin cannot be cured by, by more sin. Sin cannot be cured by trying to become legalistic and follow a bunch of rules. So this person's trying to fix sin by becoming legalistic, and this person's trying to fix sin by becoming a hedonist. And this is where we see the dilemma in the Christian life where so many Christians run and live schizophrenic Christian lives because they're trying to fix their sin problem from the outside in. And what Paul is saying in Romans chapter five through seven is that you can't fix sin that way. You can't fix sin by more sin. You can't fix more your sin by being legalistic or following a set of rules. That it's only through faith in Christ alone that gives you the opportunity to be free. Because this is what Paul was saying back in chapter five. He's like, guess what? You know when you sin, you get more grace. And the more you sin, the more grace you get. And the more grace you get, and the more grace you get, the more you sin. And then this person's over here thinking to themselves, well, okay, I don't want to be that, so I'm going to fix myself by following the law. And so you follow the law, and then you can't even hold to the law that you want to follow. And so you're like, oh, what a wretched person I am. But you don't realize you're actually sinning because you're trying to find a righteousness of your own. And when you sin in this place, more grace, more grace, more grace, more grace. So in both places, you're living a life full of sin where God's grace is just showering upon you. And Paul's saying that's neither of those ways. You will not be able to fix your sin problem through adhering the law or living according to the law. But so many times we live defeated Christian lives and living in our way, we feel so frustrated by our sin because we know the good we ought to do. This is what Paul was talking about two weeks ago. We know the good we ought to do and we can't even do the good that we ought to do. And so we, we live in this place of fully frustrated and he encapsulizes this frustration in Romans chapter seven, verse 24, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel the weight of your sin and you know you're in need of deliverance? You need someone else to step in and to save you from your sin problem. Paul expresses it. Paul knows that nothing inside of himself is sufficient enough to cure him from the problem. So this morning, if you can identify with that, then you're in the right place. For the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through Romans chapter 8, and we've entitled this series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at, um, the next five weeks, we're going to walk through chapter 8 very, very slowly. And we're going to see the power that God has given us in our lives that moves us towards obedience, that neither do we try to fix our sin problem by sinning more, nor do we try to fix our sin problem by uh, following the law, but God has given us another way. Because you may have come to the place of being frustrated as you've been reading through this uh, together. You're like, okay, God's been, or um, Paul's been trying to help us describe our new identity, that we're no longer a slave to sin, that we're no longer bound by the law, that none of these things happen. You might be thinking to yourselves, okay, well, I'm no longer this, but yet I still sin. How do I fix it? And so now Paul is going to, over the next few weeks, help us to see the power that is there inside of us. 
So in Romans chapter eight, which has been for many the greatest chapter of scripture, so many great men and women over the years have come to chapter eight and really begin to embrace this new identity and it's been like freedom being breathed into their lives. And so I pray over the next uh, several weeks together that Romans eight would do that again in us. So the big idea for today is that our new location removes our condemnation. This is what I wanna say, our new location, being in Christ, removes our condemnation. Let me read you just verse one of chapter eight. Paul writes, there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that the words that we need to hear this morning? Isn't that the word you need to hear this morning? I don't know if your life is anything like mine, but I constantly feel in my own life that there's some level of attainment or there's some measure on my life that I never measure up. Right? I never, I, I go to bed at night thinking, man, I was a horrible pastor today. Like I somehow in my mind I had this image of what a pastor is supposed to be, and I'm not that. And somewhere in my mind, I have an image of what a, a, a husband's supposed to be. And guess what? Every single day, I don't measure up to that. Somewhere in my mind, I have this idea of what a, a great father's supposed to be. And guess what? Every night, I go to bed, and I'm like, I don't measure up. And I always constantly feel like I'm not good enough. I always feel as though there's something wrong with me. I always feel as though I should just be better. Anyone else feel that way? Okay, I'm not the only one. Right, we live with this condemnation that's just hanging over our heads every single day where we want it to define us and we want it to control us. And yet we live every single day feeling as though we're never measuring up. And what does God tell us here? He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's no condemnation there's no condemnation. God is not looking down and saying at the end of your day, man, I wish you would have been better. I wish you would be, I wish you would be like your sister. Or I wish you would have been like, more like this. I wish, he's not doing that. There's now no condemnation. Rest in that for a moment. But there's a kicker there. There's now no condemnation only for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, it's a clarifier there. You don't have to live underneath the shroud of condemnation, right? Because we know when there is sin, sin literally means to miss the mark. It literally means to not hit the standard. And God's standard for your life is up here. You know what his standard for your life is? Complete and absolute holiness. That's the standard. And how many of you measure up to that? None of us do. But yet, he says here, there is now no condemnation. Well, how can that be? If you and I don't measure the mark, how is it possible? And he says it's in Christ. Christ is the only way. And you may, may be like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, you're telling me that Jesus, this man that lived 2,000 years ago and died on the cross, like that guy? is what brings, uh, cures me from condemnation? Yes. 
How, how is that possible, you say? Well, how is it possible that Jesus can heal me? How is it possible that I can be uncondemned? Because I'm sinful. I never, miss the, I never make the mark. And how is there now no condemnation? Well, I want us to see today that if we are in Christ, then there's now no condemnation. But you may ask yourself the question, why does Christ matter? And I want you to see it matters because of what Christ has done. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to take a look at three truths that come along with this identity of being in Christ. You know how you are in Christ? When you come to the place in your life where you place all of your faith and trust in Jesus' work. Not in your own work, but in the work that he has done. And so today we're going to see three truths about what Christ has done. So first of all, in verses 1 and 2, I want us to see that in Christ, the Spirit sets us free. In Christ, the Spirit frees us. Look with me again in verse 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So Paul immediately follows this declarative statement that says that now there's no condemnation. He follows that with the word for. And so what he's going to do is he's he's signaling to us that he's going to give us the reason that that statement is true. And he says the reason that this is true is because in Christ we have access to a great power. In Christ we have the Holy Spirit. Now, this this word here for the the law of the Spirit, what he's talking about, this law, this law is power, is what he's saying. So not the law like the Ten Commandments, but what he's saying is this law of the Spirit is the power that is over your life. Before you come to know Christ, there is a great law or there is a great power that is in control of your life, and it is the power of the law of sin and death. So when you are born, you're born under this power of sin. You can't help yourself, but you're going to continue to sin. And what does your sin bring you? In the end, it brings you death. So he's saying that in Christ, now we have this spirit, this new power that breeds life. It gives us life, but it's also set us free from the bondage of sin. So the spirit, God's power, is the liberating agent that breaks the power that sin had over us and frees us now so that we can live in obedience. This power that lives inside of us moves us towards obedience, whereas the old power of sin caused us to sin. Now this new power that lives inside of us moves us towards obedience. Let me go back to that that pipe example. You know, we, we learn that you can't fix that pipe from the outside. Right? That pipe has got to, that leaky pipe has to be uh, fixed from the inside out. I was doing some research this week and I, I learned that there's a new technique for fixing pipes from the inside out. Especially those like drainage pipes that go underneath the slabs of your house and all of that. Instead of having to bust up all the concrete and all of that to get to the pipe and then cut it off and remove it. There's a new technique that's been around, I don't know how many years, but it's not been around very, very long. And this is what they do. They identify where the problem is in the pipe. And so then they take this this fiber mesh that's kind of like a sock and they mix it with some resin and then they throw it down inside of the pipe. And as they move it all the way down, it goes all the way through where all of the damage of the pipe is. And then what they do is they insert a bladder in the middle of it, like this air bladder. So they slide that down into the pipe. And so then you've got the the sock looking thing and a bladder inside of it. And then what they do is they inflate the bladder. 
And by inflating the bladder, what that does is it takes the, the mesh and the resin and it pushes against the side of the walls. And so it contours exactly to the side of the wall. So it's a three inch pipe, it goes three inches. If it's a four inch pipe, it goes four inches. If it's a one inch pipe, it goes one inch, right? And as the, the transition goes around curves, it's able to, to navigate all of that stuff. And then they leave it inflated for a little bit and then they deflate it. And that resin sets up. And what it has done is it fixes the broken pipe from the inside out. And in much the same way, this is what the, spirit, the power of the Spirit does for us when we sin. Though we continue to sin and though we, we sin, we now have this new power inside of us that heals us. And where we're cracked, where we're broken, where we're leaking, that Spirit continues to move and continues to heal us from the inside out. And so though you may continue to sin, it no longer has power to condemn you. Your sins no longer condemn you. And you're like, wait a minute, how does that happen? Well, this is point two. This is the second thing that we see in Christ. So in Christ, God condemns sin. In Christ. Let's look at verse eight. I'm sorry, verse three. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what Paul is saying here is the law itself, when it was given, the law could not deal with the power of sin. The law could not fix it. It could not cure the problem. All the law could do is identify the problem, give it a, give it a name, give it a term, and so the law itself shows us how sinful we really are because it gives a definition to the things that we do. Our pride, our arrogance, our lustful thoughts, the things that we do and the things that we think, the law helps put a clarifier on it so that we can call it what it is, sin. So this law doesn't have the power to save us, but it identifies our sin and sin still has to be dealt with. God cannot be a just God if he allows sin to go unpunished. He would not be a loving God. He would not be a caring God. So sin has to be punished. So what did God do to deal with sin? How did he deal with your sin? Well, it says right here in the second part of verse three, by sending his own son. The way that God fixes our sin problem is not from our own efforts, but by his own effort. What he did is he came to help sinful man. And so Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning that he looked like us, he had five fingers on one hand and five fingers on the other hand, and he had 10 toes on one hand, he had 10 toes on the, on the other foot. He didn't have 10 toes on one hand. He had a, he's got 10 toes on his feet, right? He's got two eyes, two ears, a nose, a mouth. He's got hair, right? In the likeness of, of man, also walking the same path that you and I walked. Being tempted like you and I are tempted to not trust in God, but to trust in ourselves. And we know that what Jesus did is he lived a perfect life. He obeyed God the Father every step of his life. He never sinned. He kept the law completely. And so what God did then because he was the perfect sacrifice, because sin has to be punished, something has to die, blood has to be shed for sin. 
And that's why Jesus went to the cross. For on the cross, the Bible tells us that he absorbed the wrath of God. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. So in essence, what took place is your sin, my sin, all of that was placed on him and sin was condemned in Jesus. And Jesus endured the wrath of God. He died, was buried in the grave, and God rose him from the dead. And by doing that, Jesus overcomes sin and he fulfills the righteous requirements of the law. The law says, if you sin, you will surely die. And Jesus did it. Jesus died in our place. Jesus sent his, God sent his own son so that the righteousness of the requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk, walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the, the spirit. So in Christ, God condemns sin. His sacrifice is sufficient to cover all of our sins. And does so through the victorious death of Jesus. This morning, I have a question for you to kind of put this in perspective. How many of you like Marvel comics? Are you, are you a Marvel fan? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you are a DC fan, DC comic fan? All right, how many of you are a Michigan fan? Michigan State fan? Oh, I gotcha. Ah. <laughs> no, we're not seeking to divide this morning. This house is not divided. Our house is one. But I want to just, you know, there, there, we have preferences in life, right? Some of you prefer DC over Marvel, and some of you like Marvel over DC, and that's fine. You can, you can like that. But what I love about these comics is that they, they show us the power of there's always like two characters, right? There's always the hero, and there's always the villain, right? The hero um, is, is the one that always does good. The villain's the one that comes and seeks to destroy everything and try to grab ultimate power in life. And for every hero, there's always at least one villain, right? So who's Superman's villain? Lex Luthor, thank you. We've got some fans out there. Uh, who's Spider-Man's villain? Okay, yep, yep. He's got a lot of them. People don't like Spider-Man. I don't know why. He's a neighborhood-friendly guy, right? I don't know why people don't like Spider-Man, but one of his villains is the Green Goblin, right? So the Green Goblin comes in and he comes up with all these schemes of how he's going to grab for power in the city and, and Spider-Man jumps in and he, he thwarts those plans. And through the process of all of that, we see lots of destruction in the city. People die, crazy things happen. But in the end of the day, the hero rises and, puts the, and thwarts the plans of the villain. The villain is in trouble, Right in the sense of all of these, these comics and all of these superhero tales is a deep desire for justice, right? Now, what if I were to tell you, if, if, if life was a comic book, that you and I would be the villain? You and I are the villain, right? We're the ones that have entered into God's world that he created, that he created all good, perfect in form, and yet every single day we seek to destroy that. Every single day we seek to take what is God's, his glory and all that, and make it our own. So we ourselves are the villain every single day. Well, here's the story of Jesus in comic book terms. The story of the gospel is that Jesus, or in, in the gospel, the hero dies for the villain. Did you catch that? 
you and I do crimes. You and I are scheming, trying to destroy all things. And yet Jesus enters into our world with the purpose to die for the villain. You and I. And justice is served. That's the only way it can happen. Right? Instead of justice coming to us, what we deserve because we have done wrong, Jesus takes on the cross. And through that, justice is served. And through that, we have forgiveness. And through that, we can have fellowship with the God of the universe. So in Christ, our position now changes. Often, Times I have conversations with people that are struggling with sin. And there was a, a guy years ago that I, I, uh, I discipled over the course of several years that uh, grew up in a very legalistic home. Where he was constantly had the word of God like shoved down his throat. Where he always felt every single day that he was never good enough. He could never measure up to the standards that his mom had set for his life. And so he'd grow, he grew up in that. Thinking that that's how, how God looked at his life. And I never met, I'll never forget meeting him and, and being in this conversation. God was working in his heart and he was bringing him to a place of repentance because he had gone like way overboard. And he, he really felt like God was bringing him back. And so we had this conversation one time and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, ready. I'm ready to dive right back into my relationship with Jesus. I'm ready to do this. I'm like, okay, dude, let's do it. And so I'm like, well, I'm gonna walk with you through this. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna be here for you. And uh, let's get through this together. And so what he did was, he decided, okay, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to be better. I'm going to do better. And so he would. He would go to church. He would start reading his Bible and um, start doing all of those things on the outside. And then he'd get to a place of one, one day he'd have a weak moment. One day one of those old sins would rear its ugly head in his life. And that would start a downward spiral in his life. One mistake because he wasn't perfect one mistake, all those things that his, his parents had told him and all the ways that he understood that the, the condemnation from sin was resting on his shoulder over and over and over again. And it would not just stop there with that one sin, but instead what would happen is that it would lead to another sin and another sin and another sin. And he'd be like, I'm just not good enough. I can't stop myself. And so he'd get all the way over here where he'd finally be like, I just need to be saved again. So we have this conversation and he would come back and he's like, okay, this time it's gonna be different. This time I'm gonna do better. This time I'm gonna be better. And I kept telling him over and over again, that's not the way, that's not the way this works. That's not how any of this works. Right, you don't fix yourself. You bring yourself before the Lord and when you realize you're sinning, you're like, Lord, I need you to fix this. This is who I am. This is what I've become. Please fix this. And then what happens is the Spirit fixes us. Not we fixing ourselves, but it's the Spirit fixing us. And so he got into this, this downward spiral over and over and over again. And I was like, you need to understand one truth. Is that you didn't save yourself. It wasn't your work that saved you. It was Jesus' work that saved you. And it's not your work that's going to help you obey, but it's Jesus in you that's going to obey. This is a big difference. This is a huge difference that most people struggle with for their whole lives. It's when we obey, it's Jesus inside of us that's obeying through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus that obeyed, not us. And when we obey, it's Christ in us obeying. This is one of the most freeing things 
that we can experience. This is what the true gospel is. Is that God isn't looking for you to do something, only looking for you to trust in what he's already done. It's a work that happened in the past that you get a chance to experience the goodness of it and the grace of it today. So in Christ, not only has our position changed, but we also have power to overcome sin and obey the commands of God. Well, the question is, how do we do that? Well, we do it in Christ. This is the third point. In Christ, we walk by the Spirit. Look at what he says here in verse 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind in the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what Paul is talking about here is about the life of the believer. He's he's saying there there are two options for the believer, either to live by the flesh or by the spirit. And so he gives us some some descriptions about this, to live by the flesh. The person that lives by the flesh is the person that seeks to obey according to their own will. They see the commands of God and they want to obey them in their own strength. And here's here's the kicker. As long as we think and live like we can change ourselves by our our own will, all that does is seek to increase our sin because it seeks to attain a righteousness of our own. In essence, what we say is we live in such a way so that we can stand before God and we say, God, look at what I've done. I've stopped sinning here. I've stopped sinning here. I've stopped sinning here. And in reality, when we develop a righteousness of our own, guess what? That's sin. That's not what God is looking for in your life. He's not looking for what you've done. He's looking for you to rest in what he's already done. So our righteousness doesn't come from ourselves, but it looks, it comes from him. When we stand before God and we say, look at what I've done, that is an anti-gospel statement. For those that walk in the Spirit, understand that every human striving ends in moral bankruptcy. And that living a life of obedience and holiness is only the work of the Spirit in us. Righteousness and obedience are a gift of God's grace so that when we are changed, all we can say is, look at what he did. When we allow the work of God and his grace in our lives, it changes us from the inside out. And when we we go down this path and we realize that we are changed, we look back and we say, that could only be because of what Jesus has done in my life. That's what God is looking for in our lives. For those that are in the flesh, they cannot please God. For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it. It has no power. So you may be sitting here like, okay, help me get this straight. Like I contribute nothing to my salvation and yet I can do nothing towards helping myself grow in holiness and godliness. Yes, 
then what's my part? What do I do? How do I grow? How, how can I be transformed? How can I be changed? The answer is here in verse five. He says, for those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For walking in this way is the only way to please God. Walking in this way is the only way that you'll ever be able to carry out the commands. The key is setting your minds on the spirit. You're like, okay, 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 I got that. How do I do that? Like, what does that look like? Right, I I can set my mind on a lot of things, right? Let me explain it to you in in farming terms. This is the best way that I, I understand this and can communicate it in my own life, right? Think about a farmer, right? Farmers don't actually produce fruit, right? They don't actually produce the fruit all they do is they, they harvest it and they carry it and all that other stuff. But what we need to realize is that what farmers actually are responsible for doing is making sure that the avenue or the arena for that seed to grow is good. Right? So what the farmer does is he goes and gets the seed, finds the seed, and then he's like, okay, I got to find a nice place where this can grow. What is the best environment for this to grow? He's not going to go up to the top of a mountain where there's all these rocks and then he's going to have no place to put the seed in. No, he's going to go and he's going to find a place that uh, has good soil, that has good light, and a place where the, the, uh, the rain is going to come and it's going to feed the, feed the seed and make it grow. Right, so that's what he does. So the farmer gets the seed, he finds a good place, he uh, prepares the soil, he puts the seed in, and then he covers it back up. And then what does the farmer do? Waits. He waits. Because then he's put himself in a position where God now has space to move. And what does God do? Like he always does, the sun rises every single day and the sun sets. Sun rises and the sun sets. So God is faithful to provide light for that. And then what is God faithful to do? He brings the water and God waters it. You don't water it, I don't water it, God waters it. And then what happens? The seed begins to grow. So who produces the fruit? God. Who produces the fruit in your life? God. What's your responsibility? Setting your mind on the spirit. It begins by allowing God, giving God space in our mind as the fertile soil so that he can inform the things that we think. How do we do that? We do that in a couple of ways, right? We give ourselves over to the word of God. We study the word of God. We read the word of God. We hear the word of God proclaimed. And as we're allowing that influence to come into our lives, it begins to change us. It begins to change how we think. And that begins to change how we act. And it's a work of the spirit, not the work of our flesh. For we see this, the works of the flesh are easy. Right? We can expose our minds to the things of the flesh. And as we do that through TV or through movies or through anything that we allow to come in to influence us, those things that influence, they change our behavior. We begin to start doing the things that we see. And in the same way as we give ourselves over, our minds over to the word of God, he begins to change us from the inside out. He transforms us. So we can do this. We can set our minds to the things of the Spirit through prayer, through reading God's Word, through hearing God's Word, for being around other believers. Those are the ways in which we can set our minds on those things. But here's the crazy thing. Imagine for a moment, like you have a pot of soil, 
and you've got a seed in there, how well would your seed grow if you only exposed your container to the light and to water one hour every week? Is it gonna grow? How can we expect to spiritually grow if the only time we're connecting with Jesus is one hour a week on Sunday morning? We can't expect to grow. We can't expect to God to help us to be a better father. We can't, help, we can't expect God to help us to be a better spouse. We can't, we can't expect God to do things if we're not putting ourselves in those positions for him to change us from the inside out. Setting our minds and the things above. So as we begin in the morning, Lord, reset my mind today. As we walk through the day, Lord, reset my mind. When we fail, Lord, reset my mind. When we fear, Lord, reset my mind. And what happens over time as we spend more time with the Lord, sin loses its attraction and appeal in our lives. So the question is, what is your mindset on? What do you set your mind on? Let me go back to that, that home illustration. If, we, if all of our lives were a, a home today, and you were to walk through your home, you would see that there's a lot of things that need fixing. You, you might have that closet that's there that you don't want anyone to ever go into, right? You may have some stuff under the bed that you're like, oh, if people saw this, oh my goodness. Right? We walk through the homes of our lives. We know there's lots of fixing that needs to get done in there. And there are things inside of my life I don't want you to see. But I need to have a different disposition than walking through the house of my life saying, I gotta fix that, I gotta fix that, I gotta fix that. Instead, let us come to Jesus and say, Jesus, he fix. Right? Jesus, he fix. As we see the areas of our life where we're struggling, the things that need to be fixed, we come in and we say, Jesus, I need you to fix that. I can't. Jesus, fix that. Jesus, fix that. Jesus, please fix that. Jesus, please fix this. We give him space. We give him opportunity to roam through our house and say, everything is before you. Nothing is hidden from you. And guess what he does? He fixes it in the right way. So maybe you're here this morning and you've lived a life where you have just felt the weight of condemnation your whole life. And today I wanna to encourage you, the only way you're gonna be able to rid yourself of that baggage is bring it to the foot of Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've never come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I pray that that's your response today, that you bow before him and you say, Jesus, I need all of you. And if you wanna know a little bit more about that, I'm available, I'll be available out in the lobby, come by and say, tell me, I need to know Jesus better and I'd love to share with you how you can. But for many, many of us carry that baggage of condemnation because we, we feel it from the past that we have to do better and be better. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. If you're in Christ, he's not displeased by you. His grace is covering all of your sin, all of your mistakes and all of your failures. And this is a place where you can come and we can wrestle with that together. Like we bring it out in the open and we say, hey, guess what? I'm struggling in this area. I don't have it all together in this area. Okay, 
I can't fix it, but I know the one that can. Let's do it together. All too often in the Christian world, we want to hide our sin away and be like, oh, if anyone knew. No, instead, we have power to overcome. But Jesus, he fix, not me fix. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words today. Father, I'm thankful for the truth that we were able to see today that there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Oh, Father, help us to really believe that. Especially as we live every single day being reminded we don't live up to someone else's standard, that that's not our goal, that Jesus has already fulfilled the standard. So the condemnation that we feel in our lives has already been paid for in Jesus. That he took it all. He took the shame. He took the pain. He took the penalty. He paid for all of that through his death. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to really believe and to live as though we are free. Help us, Father, to bring our sin and our shame to you and allow you the freedom to heal it. Father, today I pray that we would be moved, that we wouldn't just hear this beautiful truth that's been expounded upon to just go at one in ear and out the other, but Father, that we would wrestle with this, with our life experience and with our, our life behaviors. Father, help us to really understand that we're no longer condemned in Christ that that changes everything. It changes our motives. It changes the way that we walk. It changes the way we interact with one another. It moves us from being judgmental towards other people. It moves us from being judgmental on ourselves. So we don't have unrealistic expectations on others or we feel that people have unrealistic expectations on us that it doesn't move us to the place of brokenness, but it moves us to the place of knowing that you can. I can't, but you can. So Jesus, I pray today that you fix us for your sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.